Well, it's brilliant to have three Paralympians on the England Athletics podcast. Of course, we're looking ahead to the World Para-Athletics Championships. But what better reason just to bring three people into the room who are very talented for a chat. Carrie O'Denegan, five-time Paralympic medalist, wheelchair athlete. Jonathan Broom-Edwards, Paralympic champion, high jumper. And Tom Young, Paralympic champion, sprinter. So um, great to have you all on. I suppose a good place to start is with what actually brought you into the sport, maybe what inspired you and and your role models. Karen, maybe a good place to start with you. I know you've mentioned actually that Hannah Cockcroft has been someone that you looked up to and, and then of course ended up over the last few years racing against her. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, that's where I started. So I watched the London 2012 Paralympic Games just on TV at home. And I was just so inspired by watching the games. And it was specifically Hannah who I watched on TV. And it was a wheelchair racing that really caught my attention just to see, you know, athletes go really fast around the track in racing chairs. And it was just great to have those role models, you know, at that time, especially during a time where I just didn't particularly see people with disabilities you know on tv um and seeing you know disability in a positive light so yeah she was definitely one of those role models and when i began the sport interesting yeah um jonathan your role models um so i can't say that i grew up watching the paralympics it wasn't something actually that was on my radar and actually someone who for me being personally someone who has quite a not hidden impairment but one that's less visible i didn't actually find out that I could qualify for the Paralympics until seeing London 2012. That was a a changing point for me as well um, after the Games because I saw someone win the high jump who had the same condition as me. So my journey into sport actually started in 2013 when I was classified um, and it's been a roller coaster since then. But to be honest, growing up, it's not like I had that awareness or knowledge that I could compete in the Paralympics. So it's, it's lovely to see how it's evolved over time. You know, I've been in the career, in my career now for best part of 10 going on 11 years and the uh, awareness of Paralympic sport has grown tremendously since, since, you know, 2012, like 2012 was a, a legacy changing point for us as Paralympians. Yeah. It's extraordinary how you see something and think, wait, I can go and do that. I can go and be that. Tom, any thoughts on you from your role models or what has inspired you? My answer is actually very similar to um, to John's. Like growing up, really, I was only diagnosed with my impairment when I was twelve years old. So, just after the London twenty twelve Paralympics, actually. So, yeah, I never really knew that I could get into Parasport after I got diagnosed with my impairment. I never really grew up watching Parasport. Of course, with it being the home games in 2012, it was on the TV every night. So I, of course, watched Johnny's race when he won. So I think someone who like a role model for me, like in the para-sport and sprinting, is certainly Johnny Peacock. And then probably from outside of para-sport, and I think every person my age would probably say Usain Bolt is also another one of their like, inspirations. Yeah, Usain Bolt, incredible in the way that he transcended beyond the borders of the sport or or any sport indeed. Um, just thinking then about something that you've overcome in your career, a challenge that you've you've got past in order to be the person you are today as well, doesn't have to be fully within the sport. Um, Jonathan, perhaps coming to you on this, a challenge that you've had to overcome. Um, well, God, there's been many ups and downs, excuse the pun of high jump, <laughs> uh, but... 
rupturing my Achilles in 2018 was obviously a huge hurdle to overcome, um, especially it being on the impaired foot, on my impaired foot. I had to, you know, work really hard to try and develop some level of strength on a foot that doesn't really function that well anyway. So that was that was a huge hurdle. Um, but, you know, you know, I thank my stars that I was able to work beyond that and, you know, come back stronger, as it were. There's many roadblocks that we hit as athletes uh, in, a, in the elite arena. And it's, you know, some are bigger than others, but the whole point of what you strive for in athletics is to, you know, go beyond that adversity. And someone who is a Paralympian already has adversity that they're, they're kind of navigating alongside it anyway. So yeah, it's, it's, it's not to downplay the uh, Achilles rupture, but it's just to say that like, there are many things that we, we have to overcome as uh, as Paralympians. Yeah. It's one of the toughest injuries to, to overcome. Kare, any thoughts from you on, on what you've overcome? Yeah. I think a big one in terms of my own career was really like balancing sport with uni studies at school especially because I started so young I started when I was 11 years old so I've had to go to world champs also like balancing school and and that was definitely a challenge for me and I say it because obviously there's a lot of student athletes out there and it can be really challenging to balance both when you want to you know shine academically but also in sport and I think specifically 2017 was one of those moments where just everything kind of came at once so 2017 we had our world championships um, in London and then I just finished my GCSE is probably like two three weeks before then so you know training wasn't really going very well because I had to take a lot of time off training I didn't necessarily feel like I was in the best shape you know the stress of exams meant that I lost a lot of weight as well so really like when I look back at my performance and even the way I looked I was like yeah I really wasn't very well I wasn't in a great place at all and but thankfully I actually um, ended up performing quite well but I think that was that was a huge challenge for me and also it's a turning point for me in terms of realizing that I really had to look after myself you know as an athlete it's not just about me just performing but I also have to eat well I have to be mindful of my mental health for example all those things so I think it was definitely a challenge but it really made me you know a stronger athlete as well it's interesting I mean just reflecting there on obviously you you came through at at quite a young age and so it's an age where you haven't necessarily learned to look after yourself fully and that's completely okay because I don't think that anyone would necessarily expected that but I, I imagine that some support and some wise voices at that time whether it's from your coach or otherwise would have been quite important in that yeah definitely thankfully I got the support I needed through British Athletics through my coach there was that realization that okay yeah you need to really need to take a step back and and really just try and build rebuild and I mean I think it definitely showed that once I got that support the couple of years after that really uh, went very well in terms of sport and just in terms of me just feeling happier about sport as well and Tom, your thoughts on what you've had to overcome? I had a couple of uh, knee operations back when I was um, kids, like around 13 and 16. And I, and I just think being back then, loving to do sports with my friends, like MPE in the playground, playing football when I'm back at home as well. I think being, you know, sidelined, seeing them really, really, you know, enjoying what they're doing and me having to watch from a sideline was quite hard to watch so I learned how important recovery is, how important um physiotherapy and you know stretching and exercising is to um to get back to being as fit as possible in the quickest amount of time. So 
when I got injured for the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham, I'd already learned how to like recover from a serious injury. So I think learning from my past experiences, it really helped me become the athlete I am today. And turning that into a positive, which you've just kind of ended on there, Tom, thinking about a moment in your career which you most enjoy to reminisce about. I mean, there's a, there's an obvious one, isn't there? How did it feel when you're at your best, you know, when you achieved a dream like becoming Paralympic champion? Like we live we live our life in like four-year box based around the Paralympics. So I joined the sport in 2018 with two years to go until the Tokyo Paralympics. And then, of course, the COVID happened, which delayed the games by a year. So I just think having that extra year to learn how to be a better athlete and just learn using training really helped my performance on the day. So when you run the way you and your coach plan to and you can look back and think yes I've won and I've won because everything we've learned in training has played off it's such a good feeling and I'm really hoping I can do that again in Paris and the year after back in Paris again for the big one the Paralympics. Jonathan how would you describe that feeling of achievement you know different challenge when it's kind of you against the bar hoping it stays up. Tokyo is a is a moment that will live in my memory for the my whole life you know for the rest of my life because the stars have to align with any any major champs you know we are literally working towards a singular moment which comes around like thomas said every four years or in tokyo sense it was f- the fifth year you know of building towards that moment and for me personally after you know four weeks or three three and a half weeks of training in tokyo with it being beautiful sunshine and like you know 40 degree heat turning up to the competition with it absolutely torrential rain and freezing cold was, you know, one of those challenging moments that you can only, you have to kind of adapt to in that moment. Um, So to kind of keep my composure, get it, you know, get everything right. I mean, the competition itself was very much a very difficult competition, but to keep my cool and get it right when it counted in that moment was something I'll be forever proud of because, you know, it took so much to to not lose my, without swearing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> losing it. So, yeah, it's, it is a, it's a feeling unlike anything else you experience, you know, that sort of high from achievement is, yeah, it's very re- rewarding. And Kare, you, you've got such a wonderful collection of medals that you've won while you're still a teenager before your 21st birthday and you, you've broken world records as well. I mean, how can you put into words the the emotions, the the elation when you've been at your best? Yeah, I mean, it is amazing. And it's great to hear, you know, the stories of Tom and Jonathan as well. Like, yeah, that moment for sure is just great because it is that pinnacle of all the hard work that you've put in and just that sense that, yeah, all that hard work is worth it, all the sacrifices, all the tough times. And I think that's what it really is about. It's about how we've overcome things, like we've spoken about the things we've overcome and it's that resilience that shows um, through that performance. So, yeah, I've had some great moments where it's just felt like, yes, like this is what I've worked for and it's all worth it. Yeah, resilience, such a key word that we need to think about most of the time and, and sometimes things become too much, but... If you've got that in your in your locker, it certainly helps, doesn't it? Um, thinking about then recognition and and para athletes, is there enough recognition? 
you know, what do we need to do as a sport? Is it coming down to the responsibility of athletes to be kind of regularly on social media, increasing their profile? Is it two-way? Is it the rest of the media as well? Organizations like governing bodies, what can they do? Jonathan, I'll come to you first on this. It obviously has improved over the years, but there is still work to be done. Um, the nature of social media nowadays is is can actually become quite distracting, you know, for for athletes themselves because if uh, if everyone's trying to live as content creators, it's actually taking away energy from the the training that they need to do to achieve what they're trying to achieve. So we do need help. You know, what some of the big competitions have shown us is that people want to watch Paralympics. Some people we actually enjoy the seeing the adversity that they go through even more so. You know, so it's not that people don't want to watch it, but what I think happens is that we don't always get the the airtime that actually we are due um, in Paralympic sport. It's a case that if it was pushed out a little bit more um, in maybe new and inventive ways, we would see more more return from our sport. So to rely on the athletes themselves having to push their own social media to grow it, to like become content creators when actually they're athletes, that's what they're the main focus should be so it's it's a difficult you know thing to balance i mean i know personally myself i've tried you know i've been growing my social media gradually but i'm not a content creator so i'm i'm you know i need extra help with with that many times you know um like my agent laura like she has she helps me a lot but i i still try to focus on the things i need to do for my athletics because it's at those pinnacle moments where you have to you know you get it right and that's when you're going to get recognized. But there are so much that athletes provide in their work ethic and their resilience building. And, you know, that's the, the message that people can actually relate to, not necessarily the specific things that they do. So it is about getting us out there a little bit more. Tom, your thoughts on achieving more recognition? So the Paralympics are now always televised, which is, of course, amazing. But like, world championships european championships are televised on like actual tv a lot less i know the 2017 world para championships were in the london stadium so they were televised every day but i just think yeah a lot of european championships aren't televised for you said world championships aren't aren't televised much either so i don't think people know exactly when these events are actually going to be on as John says, people want to watch it, right? People will sit down, cancel our plans, sit down and actually watch the competitions on the TV. So I think in the future, if there could be like more awareness of parasport on the telly and probably just, yeah, just think more awareness on social media, really, the sport would be going into an even better place than it already is in now. Yeah, no, it's, it's hard not to agree with that, especially what Jonathan said about the focus on on training as well is is the most important thing. There's no doubt about that. Kare, there was an art exhibition done by athletes in in London last year, and uh, Sophie Camlish was one of the exhibitors, and she did like an A to Z of her life. And uh, one of the letters she used O was to represent overshadowed, i.e., a feeling of being overshadowed by the Olympic Games. Do you think that's that's a word that comes into your vocabulary when thinking about recognition? 
That's a good point, to be honest. Yeah, sometimes I think another issue um, is that sense of commerciality of parasport and the fact that we don't necessarily mm. get the same, you know, sponsorship opportunities, especially when it comes to sports brands. You know, are they really that interested in parasport? Like sometimes it depends, but I think that also is an issue. And especially if sports brands specifically or uh, sponsors are looking for commercial figures, looking for social media personalities, which not to be too controversial, but I feel like things are moving in that direction a bit at times. You know, if that's what they're looking for, then yeah, like it makes it a bit harder for para-athletes because we're not necessarily, I mean, some athletes are maybe in that space, but some of us aren't necessarily in that space. So yeah, I think at times it can feel like we are being overshadowed when there's amazing para-athletes who are performing, you know, consistently, have got all the medals, but still aren't necessarily getting the recognition or getting the support that Olympians have. Really good point. Um, I suppose here we're talking directly on the England Athletics podcast. Is there anything that you think that governing bodies in the UK could do more of? We have seen more uh, races of different kinds included at events such as, you know, England championships domestically. Um, But anything you think specifically governing bodies could do in the UK? Um, I think in terms of governing bodies, yeah, like more events, that is really important. And we have had a lack of events. I know there's a lot of efforts in trying to give us more events, but this year, I know personally for me as a wheelchair racer, and I know other wheelchair racers have struggled to find events, you know, so that is really important. Again, even having opportunities like this, as we are talking on, you know, the England Athletics podcast and other opportunities for para-athletes to talk about their experiences, that really, really helps. But governing bodies as well, just maybe need to speak to athletes more, speak to para-athletes and find out what our needs are and really implement the things that we're telling them so we're not just telling them the change but they're actually going out and making change happen you know because they have the power to do so yeah talking is is the first step really isn't it so world power championships in paris excitingly inside the stadium that that regularly hosts the diamond league um which has proven to be quite a, quite a fast track as well tom i'll start with you what are you most looking forward to about these world championships Winning. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I want to go there and I want to win really well and I want to win. But after, you know, missing the Commonwealth Games through injury, it will just be really nice to get back into that team spirit, being with the team, because, of course, you don't get to see the team regularly every single day for people who, of course, don't train in Loughborough. So, yeah, just being back in that mm. competition environment really and of course with the Paralympics being back in Paris again next year it'll be really nice just to get used to the city used to Paris and just used to the way you know Paris works if you get what I mean. Yeah do you find yourself having a real sense of longing sort of waiting for that that big competition environment? Yeah I I can't wait I mean every day now I'm getting more and more excited (laughs) and I Always, I, I believe I seem to do better when I've got more, you know, when the event is bigger. So going to my second World Championships and missing out in 2019 by like millimetres, I really want to go one better and get the gold. And I feel like this is the perfect year to do it. Jonathan, do you share that view that being in that big major competition environment actually helps you get in the zone, so to speak? Um, I think there's something that a stadium delivers that's you can't recreate anywhere else. I'm I'm personally excited because I feel in really good shape and I feel that I'm ready to, you know, hit a personal best that I haven't I've been chasing for years now. 
And the thing is the stadium and the atmosphere and the, the crowd, that's what will build the adrenaline and deliver out of us our very best. It almost gives us that extra edge. It's like a beast that we need to tame. <laughs> but I'm really looking forward to seeing almost like how high that can carry me because I've developed the engine. Now it's just about freshening up and going out and enjoying it. I'm looking forward to being out in front of um, a crowd again, you know, because we didn't get to experience that with Tokyo because of the protocols of COVID. So to have a, a crowd and also it being so close to home where friends and family can actually just make the trip across to Paris to come and watch us. It's incredible to think that some athletes who've come into the sport in the last few years, they hadn't really raced in front of a big crowd or, or jumped in front of a, a big crowd, which is is quite extraordinary to now finally have the chance to do that. Kerry, same question to you about what you would most like to get out of these world championships, how you're feeling. Yeah, I'm feeling good. I mean, training has been going really well and I've been quite consistent this year, so I can't complain. And I think it means that I come into this champs with the confidence that, you know, things have been going uh, really positively um, this season. And I'd really just like to enjoy it. You know, I think that's the most important thing. I know I perform best when I'm just enjoying it, when I'm relaxed, just having fun with it. Um, so, yeah, so that's really the main thing, but also to execute the race. Like I'm not thinking too much about the outcome in terms of like medals, particularly what exactly that's going to look like. But just I know that if I can execute my race and get the certain bits right, then I should come out with um, an outcome I'm happy with. Do you know what's interesting is because I never want to say to someone, you know, what is your exact target? Because it almost creates unnecessary pressure. Zarnell Hughes, who broke the British 100 metre record quite recently, he did something quite different. He wrote down the exact time that he wanted to run and as a way of manifesting it. I'd never really heard of that before. I just wondered your view on whether that's an unusual approach, right? It seems like something that would be quite unusual, unless it was something that you thought very much within your head, you know, but didn't say to everyone. Every athlete, you know, is different. We all approach a race differently some people are visual learners some people for example you know learn through hearing things and and of course I know Zarnell of course you said he wrote it down and of course for him that was really really effective so it's probably unusual to me because in the past I've tried to predict my times and it's not gone how I've wanted it to and then I've been upset but of course and it worked with Zarnell he ran an unbelievable race and broke the British record and now he's looking to be one of the favourites to go and win in Budapest and I'm really excited to watch our race. Absolutely. So just, just finishing off with it with a couple of other things I'd, I'd like to ask. One of them is your advice to someone who might be considering getting into the sport or hasn't fully taken it seriously just yet or is trying to, to break into it. I would always advise to go and the experience for themselves the beauty that comes from achieving something after working very hard at it there's a lot of joy to be had once you you know you complete a task or you achieve something over time and for those that are paralympians or para athletes rather among us is to actually explore and try and go beyond the limits that your impairment or your disability may well place, place on you I've achieved more through my with my left foot than I ever thought possible. And it was just through having the opportunity in Paris sport to actually explore its limits and go beyond them. And then 
discover even more about your own capability explore your own your own potential i didn't realize my potential until sport had offered me the opportunity to explore it some really wise words there okay so to finish off with something a little bit light-hearted doesn't have to be a para athlete can be any athlete by all means bring in examples from para athletes to just kind of you know introduce the names and and uh, and get to know them better um the cleverest athlete you know you think could be in your training group oh, i'm gonna start here i'm gonna say stephen miller one of the most clever guys I've, I've ever met. I mean, he's not in, I don't compete against him or compete with him, but I've been in the team with him. You know, he's, he's, he's been, he was in the team for a very, very long time and there's a lot of experience and wisdom, you know, phenomenal, uh, phenomenal speaker going against what his um, impairment does to him. An athlete who is always on time. Not me. <laughs> Brilliant. I'll take that as an answer. Someone who has a hidden talent. Maybe they could excel in another sport. Actually, we had a camp, I think, last year. And Sammy Kinghorn, a wheelchair racer, she said that she plays the guitar. So I was like, wow, I didn't know that. So that's quite a cool hidden talent. Oh, that's that's a nice kind of between training sessions after dinner, just relaxation. Did she actually bring her guitar, though? No, so I haven't heard it yet. Oh. But yeah, maybe one day. Next time. <laughs> we, need to get her, we need to actually experience this because she could be absolutely terrible, couldn't she? <laughs> brilliant brilliant actually I, I have heard of that before people bringing guitars on a team bus to go to a competition to go to a fixture and just to to make that journey seem a little shorter um who has the best fashion sense carrie maybe oh thanks i'll take that <laughs> <laughs> definitely not me and i don't know tom you you scrub up all right don't you sometimes thank you <laughs> well it's been brilliant to talk to you all and wish you all the best for the World Championships in Paris. Um, thanks for coming together for England Athletics and uh, good luck. Thank you very much, Alex. It's been lovely to speak to you. Yeah, thank you, Alex. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you, John. Hi, my name is Abigail Irozaru and you're listening to the England Athletics podcast. Now, another brilliant championship to look forward to is the Commonwealth Youth Games. It's in Trinidad and Tobago from the 4th to the 11th of August. Particularly exciting from a para point of view as well. So first of all, let's welcome back podcast regular Sarah Benson, our head of talent development and team leader for the Games, Scott Grace. Scott, I imagine you're pretty excited. Yeah, extremely excited. Um, it's the first time since 2017 we'll be taking the team to the Commonwealth Youth Games. It's, it's been the uh, starting point for many of our senior athletes now, Jazz Sawyers, Dina Asher-Smith. Uh, and it's an extremely strong team. Really pleased to see the, the athletes that we'll be taking. First time there'll be power athletes competing as well at Commonwealth Youth Games. So it's just a great opportunity for them young athletes to experience uh, high-level games, representing their country, uh, and really a great, great sort of platform for, for the sport as well, just to see the future superstars uh, and their earliest major games. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you could mention loads more names. Neve Emerson, another who's who's won and then gone on to win senior medals. Um, we branched out on the England Athletics podcast. We've now <laughs> gone as far as, as Wales as well. And uh, James Williams, CEO of Welsh Athletics, joins us. So you've already named your team for these games. And we can think of uh, James Tomlinson and Sarah Omarege, who've won medals at the last edition. Yeah. You know, so um, high hopes there as well. Yeah, 
the Commonwealth Youth Games got a lot to answer for. I competed in the very first Commonwealth Youth Games in sunny, sunny Edinburgh in 2000. So uh, it set me on, on the path to where I am today. So who knows? Maybe a future chief exec within <laughs> the cohort going out to Trinidad and Tobago. Brilliant. Yeah. And I think Fionn Palmer was the last Welsh winner I had a look in, in 2011. That was a great year with Dina Ashton-Smith and, and Jazz Sawyers, as Scott mentioned. So Sarah, as well as the Commonwealth Youth Games, ahead of that, if you like, in, in age groups or above that, we've got the under-20s and under-23s. They've got, for one, the, the example of Keely Hodgkinson to follow, who's going to be at the under-23s. But yeah, set to be a, a brilliant few weeks with all of these events. It's a really exciting summer with um, with all these championships for our age group athletes. And, and you know, I, I think these are important championships, not only for the athlete experience, but but also the, the coaching staff as well. And certainly we're looking at using Commonwealth Youth Games, using under 23s and 20s to to give our, our staff experience of moving through the pathway as well, from coaching to team management to the medical staff support that are that are all working towards I mean, ultimately for us as a as a home nation, Victoria in 2026 and beyond as well. For para-athletics, we know that at the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham last year, where there was an expansion to include uh, more athletes, including um, Hannah Cockcroft's category, she was really delighted with that. And it's the same for these young athletes as well. They have more inclusion opportunities in Trinidad and Tobago. Yes, it'll be the first time that para-athletics has been at a Commonwealth Youth Games, which is a is a, an important move, I think, for integrating, but also creating a pathway for age group athletes within the Paralympic pathway. There isn't a great amount of depth at the moment within age groups on the Paralympic pathway. And this is, again, it's it gives um, age group athletes under 18 athletes a real focus and an opportunity to grow the depth of, of para-inclusion through everything that we're doing in the sport. So... We're really excited. We're hoping we'll see more events come on board. It is um, currently only ambulant events that are are catered for in Trinidad and Tobago, but we're hoping the next edition will then see seated athletes as well being part of the Games. Around this as well, there is a proposal to make some changes around how the age groups work. James, I believe that you're leading the way on this. So do you just want to explain a little about what, what it means? Well, it's a collective approach. All the four home countries and UK athletics have been looking at uh, the trends over the last few years, in particular the trends around track and field. And there's been talk of evolving the age groups for, for several years. I think we have to be quite upfront and, and look at the some of the trends at the moment, and certainly around track and field and some of the some of the age groups. It's not a positive trend. So we're not saying uh, changing the age groups would be the, the silver bullet to, to change all of these things, but it definitely gives us an opportunity to tackle some of the challenges around the clashes with, with education and potentially look at reshaping some of the competition offering going forward as well. So there, there's been a, a group in place which which involves not just members of each of the home countries and, and UK athletics, but some key volunteers within our sport who've been working through some of the some of the arguments and, and Scott's done a, done a great piece of piece of work in pulling all that together on behalf of us all as well. So we're just at the start of entering into dialogue with the sporter on what this could look like going forward. So Scott, we we talk quite a lot about how we can keep young athletes in the sport and the ages at which we sometimes see people dropping out. One of the reasons for that is school pressures. So um, there is a link between that and the idea behind these proposals. 
Yeah, that's correct. A lot of the research that we've looked at and, and research conducted both in athletics and, and other sports over the years is really showing the dropout typically happens around the years when there are major exams. So we see it between the ages uh, of 14 and 16 um, around GCSE. Then we see another dropout rate around A-level and then some at university age. And in the research conducted back in 2018, one of the biggest reasons cited, like over 40% of individuals cited exam pressure, combined with that of trying to still be a teenager, socialize with friends and increased in training to, uh, to perform at their very best led to what what they define as the perfect storm uh, and that that pressure on young people led to them having to make a decision of something had to give and unfortunately for for many of them it was around giving up the sport and we know that some young people actually use uh, going to training as a bit of a respite from studying but a lot of young people find it really hard to manage and balance that particular area so as i say it, this is one of the key reasons but it's one of many reasons to try and help just alleviate and give a much more positive experience to young people in our sport. If we can do that and we can support young athletes with their mental health, their balancing of their lifestyle, we hope through that and multiple other strategies we have in place, it will increase the retention rate. So it would also bring into line with other countries as well in what in what they do and how they have their age group set up, I believe? My understanding is that Athletics in the UK is one of only a very small handful of nations that don't currently adopt the the world athletics age groups of of even age groups. So that that's definitely a factor. But I think we're very clear that's not the main reason for change. We're not doing this to ensure that there's a you know an, an easier transition for some of the performance athletes. This is about the sport as a whole and ensuring that that athletes are retained in the sport that can develop over a much longer period and and hopefully enables the sport and some of the event groups within the sport to start to see a more positive trend uh, going forward uh, and also the you know, we, we've we've talked at length around domestic competition across the uk and, and the need to to evolve the way we we present competition and to reduce travel burden and all this type of stuff this is an opportunity to look at the whole solution and i think age group change could be uh, the catalyst for, for doing some of that brilliant so i'll just come around for some final thoughts then commonwealth youth games just to round up by, by finishing on that what an incredible experience it should be both in respect of people that may go on to be the next dean or asher smith but also people for whom this might enrich them and and for some maybe be uh, the biggest title that they that they win and that stands as a huge achievement in itself you know when we talk about pathways we we know that some people will will kind of join us and then go on to other great things as well so a great experience generally yeah, definitely. We, we always see it as it's the platform for people to hopefully project onto future success, wherever that may be. And, and James alluded to it earlier on, you know, for some individuals, actually, they have a really strong career in athletics, but still go on to do different things, whether it's in our sport or in other sports. We hope that like the first multi-games experience allows them to, to really get excited about their future career. At this age, is about learning how to deal with that environment, how to conduct yourself, and making the most of the experience. So it's really, we, we would encourage every single athlete going out to Trinidad to absolutely maximise that moment for them. Take great pride in representing their country, uh, their friends, their family, their, their personal coaches and clubs, and most importantly, themselves. So uh, I hope you have great weather in Trinidad, although judging by some of the, the sun that we've had in the UK, you know, might not be that much better. <laughs> Thanks. We'll we'll call this one to a close because I know it's sports day season and, and Sarah's off to win the mums and dads race. 
build my calf. I don't think that's going to happen today. Great stuff. A likely story. <laughs> As featured on previous England Athletics podcasts, there, there are world records for three-legged races, and I believe Egg and Spoon was once attempted by Sally Pearson. So, uh, you know, whatever you like. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks very much. Brill, thank you. Thanks very much. All the best. Well, lots of great talent at the Commonwealth Youth Games, including Sale Harriers Thea Brown, who we heard from earlier in the year on the podcast, just after she'd broken the under-17 60 hurdles national record. She's also since gone on to jump 184 in the high jump and is over six metres in the long jump this year. Charlotte Henrich already has a European under-18 400-metre title to her name. Madeline Down is in the T38 long jump and 100 metres. Phoebe Gill has run 203 for 800 multiple times and won English schools the other day. And what about the beautifully named Ethan Glide in the high jump 215 this year. So can't wait to hear how they all get on and hopefully we'll catch up with one or two of them. For now though, thanks for listening to this podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it and goodbye.